Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I got something I want to talk about to you. Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. I'm John Langer. This week, a rather special show with a special guest here in the studio. His name is Nick Theberg, and uh, he's an associate professor at in the School of Languages and Linguistics at Melbourne University, and he's involved in some really interesting and important projects, which we'll hear about in a few minutes. But before I tell you any more, I want you to listen to something, and I want you to try and work out what it is. Here's a hint. 2019 is the International Year of Indigenous Languages. Welcome to Communication Mixdown, Nick. Tell us what we were just listening to. That was a soundscape that we created um, to give people a bit of a sense of what some of the languages of the Pacific sound like. Um, we we did it for, um, actually it was at the Canberra Museum and uh, it was a virtual reality display and you had these shards of light coming up from the ground and as you walked through or flew through these shards of light you would hear the language that each of those shards of light represented as you flew through. So it was sort of like travelling through a forest of languages. Mm. And um, what we were just listening to there, how does it connect to the International Year of Indigenous Languages? One of the things that we want to do during this year is get people to think about the fact that there are lots of languages in the world. So, you know, there's somewhere around 7,000 languages in the world, and a quarter of those are in our region around Australia. So including Australia, Papua New Guinea, and and the Pacific, we've got a, a quarter of the world's languages. And some of the countries near us, so New Guinea notably has, you know, 900 or so languages, but even very small countries like Vanuatu, you know, 130 languages. So this is a, a sort of a wealth of, of languages. And Australia, of course, before colonisation also had hundreds, depending how you count them, maybe a thousand uh, languages. Of course, a lot of those have been wiped out together with the people that spoke them. Mm-hmm. Let's open the lens. You've began to open the lens a little bit bigger at this point, and uh, let's get the big picture. As I understand it, Australia sits in the region, which you said is a, is a vast and probably underappreciated linguistic diversity here. Let's listen to this grab and sound grab and tell us a little bit about the linguistic diversity around this clip and uh, how, how we can sort of interpret it. <laughs> <laughs> 
mamado de um cacau, mano. Dá logo a tia de um gatinho. Calma. Saindo. E já saindo. O evado tá indo de outra vez para lá. Mamã, vai mamã ficar para mais, mas o coro vai mais não vai ter mamã. Mas o outro mamã ele não diga na tarde, de mamã tem o outro dia na tarde, mamã ainda é. Well, I know that that's a language from Papua New Guinea, um, and it's the result of you know somebody Joel Bradshaw's fieldwork, um, and you know as part of his fieldwork he just recorded a bunch of kids uh, talking their language, and in of course, many of these places pe- the kids are still learning their languages, and still speaking their languages as you can hear there. And maybe when they get to school, they might be learning, you know, their third or fourth or fifth language by the time they get there. So in all of these places, I think multilingualism is the norm, as I think it was always the norm for humans everywhere. Yes. Um, And, you know, it's only in Australia and countries like Australia, England, um, that we sort of pretend that monolingualism is the the norm and is the the aim. Um, But in fact, I think... Most people, when they think about it a little bit, would appreciate that it's actually much better to be multilingual and to mm. have a, you know, it's good for your brain. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I think you're, you're quite right. Multilingualism is, a, is, is in fact a, a major part of people's culture. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, in, in Australia and Aboriginal societies, we know that um, everybody was multilingual. You would learn, you know, your neighbours' languages. You would learn your grandparents' and your parents' languages, and often they're quite different. Um, but it was just normal that you could do that. And even if you didn't speak them, you could understand them, and you could have conversations with people where you could speak your language and they could speak their language. But everybody still understood each other perfectly mm, well. Mm, mm. As I understand it, and this is something that I, I wanted to ask you about, the prognosis for the future of this sort of linguistic diversity is not looking that good. What are the problems or some of the problems that languages are facing at this point? It's different in different places, but you know the basic problem is that there are large languages like English, uh, French, Spanish, Russian, um, but in our region, it's uh, particularly English is a bit of a killer language, and you know educational institutions are emphasising that kids should learn English. And I don't think anyone would question that you know it's good for kids in Australia to learn English. But the problem is that you don't have to get rid of one language to have another one. You know that you can you know back to this idea that you can be multilingual, and it's good for you to be multilingual. You know there are studies that show that it you know, can help you postpone or, or defeat Alzheimer's and, you know, many other things that it's good for. Um, but the the problem then is um, urbanisation, you know, as people move away from their traditional locations, villages or country, uh, then they move into towns and they intermarry with people who don't speak the same language, then their kids aren't speaking the same language. And these are these are the kinds of problems you're seeing. And, of course, in the Pacific You've got specific sort of issues around um, climate change and uh, there are some parts of the Pacific where people have to um, are going to be forced to leave their uh, islands uh, because they, they're just going to be underwater uh, and those people will move to other places. We've already seen this happening with t- the tsunami, so um, communities living in Aceh, on coast west coast of Aceh, um, their villages were all destroyed and they were, they were relocated to other places and so... You know, one side effect, of course, not the mo- the major side effect of that is um, that those languages are n- potentially not being spoken anymore. Mm, mm, mm. The connection between climate change and and uh, language loss is something that I hadn't 
I hadn't ha- actually made the connection myself, but it, it clearly is a very important thing. Once your culture is a, uh, uprooted and you're going somewhere else, you're forced into a situation. Obviously, those things are going to make major changes in people's cultural pers- cultural abilities and and perceptions. Yeah, that's right. Look, I'm talking with uh, Nick Theberg, and uh, he's from the School of Languages and Linguistics at Melbourne University, and we're discussing language diversity in the Asia-Pacific region. More after this. Are you passionate about films, interested in cultural diversity, or wanting to get exposure for your own film? The Indonesian Film Festival is just around the corner, with our main events running from March the 23rd to April the 10th. There'll be free film screenings, panel discussions, and for filmmakers, there's the short film competition. This year's theme is The Unknown, and film submissions close on the 3rd of March. What are you waiting for? Go and check it out. The Indonesian Film Festival, iffaustralia.com, a 3CR supporter. You're with Communication Mixdown, and we're talking about language diversity in the Asia-Pacific region and some of the problems and possible dangers that these languages face in the future. Nick, you're the director of a project which is best known by its acronym, Paradisec, and you're much better than I, giving the full name. So what does Paradisec, what is it, what's the acronym, and what does Paradisec do? Paradisic is the Pacific and Regional Archive for Digital Sources in Endangered Cultures. You can see why we need an acronym. Uh, It's a project that's now been going for 16 years, and what it does is it finds recordings uh, made in languages from the Pacific and the region and digitizes them and and sort of houses them in an online repository so people can get access to them. So these are recordings. Initially, we were targeting recordings made by academics, so linguists and musicologists and anthropologists who went out to Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, uh, Melanesia and the Pacific and made these recordings. And then when they came back, they did their work, they wrote their analysis and whatever, but the tapes were left in their offices. And then these people, you know, we're talking about the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, they got old, they retired or they died and the tapes often were just left. And so we set up this project in 2003 and we got some funding from the Australian Research Council um, to digitise these tapes. And part of the rationale for doing this was that uh, we felt there was a responsibility to get these recordings back to the places they came from. Um, That wasn't so easy when these researchers did their work, but it's a lot easier with digital stuff. And, of course, as the internet gets uh, more and more uh, widely used and people can get access on their phones then they'll be looking for this kind of material. You know, people in the highlands of Papua New Guinea in the most you know, remote areas of the Pacific can still get onto the internet and we hope that they'll find these recordings made with their grandparents, great-grandparents or whatever. Uh, so that's, that's really what the project's mm. been doing and we just keep doing it. I've got another sound bite that you supplied. I'll just this, just give, you, give, give us a little idea of how this, how this works. Come in. Hello. Two. Eddie. The ground. Nafensu. Food. Emasa. The work. Ozonso. What were we listening to there, Nick? So that was uh, Arthur Capel. He was the professor of linguistics at Sydney University. 
he died uh, in 1986, um, and he had many, many recordings that he'd made. And what you heard there was, you know, what we call elicitation. So you sit down with somebody and you ask them how to, if they understand English, then you ask them in English and they tell you the word in, in their own language. Mm-hmm. And that's a sort of method, you know, when you don't know a language, that's, that's how you would start. Uh, and then you would go on from there. Mm. Now, something that's very intriguing to me is I, when I heard you talk about this and I, I attended a talk, it sounded like there was a lot of detective work involved and actually finding the recordings and then getting the languages recognized because there's, there's so much diversity. What was for you the most interesting or the most intriguing find in terms of those audio recordings? <laughs> I don't know. There have been so many. I mean, we our collection has some nearly ten thousand hours of recordings in it now. Uh, so there's an awful lot of, uh, of recordings. We we set up a survey asking people to tell us if they had these kinds of recordings and they wanted to digitise them. And so there were some pretty wonderful ones uh, that turned up through that process. Um, one was a, a you know a collection from Papua New Guinea um, and. The researcher was living in Chicago, but his recordings were in Sweden, and it took this whole business of, you know, tracking them down. Uh, another one, actually, it was quite interesting, was a missionary who lived in Madang in Papua New Guinea. And when he retired, he gave his tapes to the museum in Basel because he was from Switzerland. And the museum had these tapes, and but they just kept them as tapes. So they, they had this whole collection, and it was in the order of three or 400 uh, reel-to-reel tapes. So I, I sort of negotiated with them over quite a period of time to um, find out if we could help them by digitising them. Mm. And then we arranged with another partner archive of ours in the Netherlands to take the tapes and digitise them. So this took, this took a while, as you can imagine. Uh, but eventually we got them all digitised, and uh, he, he died. I went and met him uh, before he died, and he gave permission for all of this to happen. Mm. And then the great thing with that collection is that we sent some of it, well, we sent the whole collection back to Madang so people there could listen to it, but they had the initiative of playing it in the market at Madang, so just the food market, and they played MP3 recordings of some of these uh, tapes because we didn't know what was on all of them. Mm. And uh, they asked people if they recognised the language and they took notes and they sent them back to us and then we put that into our catalogue. So it was a great, uh, a great initiative and we'd like to do that kind of thing again if we, ca- if we can. And when we're talking about t- tapes, you're, you, you, you're talking about old, old school analog tapes, the, the stuff that we used to have in cassettes and so on. That's right. I mean, young people today may not know. <laughs> um, you know, cassettes and, and reel-to-reel tapes, yep. you know, yep. open-reel tapes, and we have to maintain you know, playback machinery for that, yes. uh, which is you know, not a small task anymore. Those machines are getting harder and harder to find. And also the tapes degraded to some extent as well. That's right. And luckily, you know, our Sydney office has <laughs> a vacuum oven, so you can put these tapes into a vacuum oven and you keep them there for days until the magnetic media and the plastic re-adhere. Um, if some of these tapes are very mouldy if they're in the tropics and they take a bit of cleaning and, and care. So they, mm. they can be, it, it can be quite a, a long-term, arduous sort of process mm-hmm. to, to digitise them. Just to go back to what you were saying before, you've got thousands of, thousands of hours of, 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 of material. How many languages does Paradisec uh, how, how on on your digital archive? Yeah, well, we have twelve hundred and five languages represented in the collection at the moment. 
which is pretty wild. It's uh, it's great. And some of those we don't have very much, but for some of them we might have two or three hundred recordings, you know, so it can be quite significant. And uh, another thing that I, I saw on your website, and we'll give the details of that in, at the end of the show, but you've got something called the Mystery Language of the Week. Tell us about the Mystery Language of the Week. So this is a um, gift to the International Year of Indigenous Languages. We thought we could find uh, recordings that we have uh, that don't have any cataloging information or metadata. Um, and we would take a snippet of them and put them up on our Facebook page and then on our website and ask people if they recognise them. And we have a, a prize of a tea towel. We have a wonderful Paradisec tea towel. So anybody that gets on there and can identify a language, we're happy to send you a tea towel. And um, after um, a, a period, maybe in another month or two, um, Radio um, Australia, or whatever is left of it, so the Pacific Beat, uh, will be broadcasting some of these out to the Pacific, and we hope we'll get more responses from there. And are you getting a few responses? We are getting some responses, but uh, not, not as many as you would no, hope for. No. Uh, it is a big ask, really. You know, there are so many languages, and, and randomly playing a recording from one uh, and hoping that somebody will... Find, yeah, know what it sure. is. Yeah. Yep. The other thing that's, uh, that was interesting to me when I was looking through some of your material, talking about transcription of the language, and y- you were suggesting that there is now software, uh, artificial intelligence, which can actually do the, the transcription in, in, into text. Yeah, well, this is very exciting. So, you know, these tools have developed to the point where, okay, we're, we're familiar with Dragon Dictate and Siri and these things where they can understand English. But, uh, you know, there are many other languages that these tools aren't available for. But um, with a team that I'm associated with, we've been working on um, tools that can take a very small amount of, of training material So you give it some transcribed uh, recordings and it learns what the relationship is between the recording and the transcript. And then you give it some untranscribed recordings and it will transcribe it for you. And uh, I work on a language from central Vanuatu and I have lots of recordings that I've made there. And when I tried it, uh, it gave me about 60% accuracy, which is really, I think, astounding for a language it's never, you know, the machine's never seen before. Um, so it's a lot of there's a lot of promise there that um, if we make more recordings at the moment we sort of hold back on making recordings when we do field work because we know there's an awful lot of work in transcribing them. Mm, mm. You know, it can be in the order of forty times the the recording length to make a good yes. transcript. So um, if we can get that automated, it's going to make it a lot uh, easier to make good records of languages, and that's that's really what we want to do is make good records. If you've got a transcript, then you can find out what's on a recording much more easily than having to listen to it all. This is a, a something of a technical question, but um, I, it, the languages, say in Vanuatu, 120 languages, are they are there are there scripts for the, those languages, or how does that work? Most languages in the world weren't written down right before um, colonization. So uh, the languages of Vanuatu have now been written down. Missionaries uh, were there from the mid-1800s, and after that, you know, there's been a lot of work done uh, to write languages. So, yeah, in general, each of these languages does have a script. So it has been standardised to some extent in a script form. Yes, and the same for languages of Australia, you know, which weren't written down before Europeans came, but but now are. Yes, Mm. right. Now, just to finish up, and uh, some of the challenges that, 
Paradisic is facing, say, over the next year or two? What are the big challenges for you? Well, one of the big challenges really is finding more uh, tapes and and, uh, recordings. Recordings turn up from tourists who've travelled through the area, from missionaries who've been in the area. Um, We sort of have networks with academics, but even then uh, we're not getting as many recordings as we know must exist. So, you know, if anybody listening knows of some recordings made in languages from from our region, I would be really interested to talk to you. Uh, We we do get grants every now and then to cover some of these uh, collections. There's one we're working on at the moment, which is a collection of recordings from Malaita in Solomon Islands, 240 tapes. So a big collection like that, we need to find some funding for that because we Mm. can't really afford to do it. But for a small collection of a few tapes, we can probably do that for free. And just to use that example of the Solomon Islands, do you get the tapes back to Melbourne or or are you going to the Solomons to to work on them? Well, these tapes are actually held in New Zealand with an anthropologist who worked in the Solomons um, and we do bring them back to uh, Australia to digitise. I did some work with the Solomon Islands National Museum and brought 200 tapes from there back to Australia and digitised them and then took them back mm. with, with a hard disk full of uh, files. Mm. Mm. Now, just for people who would like to learn more about Paradisec and find out a bit more, where, where would they go? Our website, Paradisec, so P-A-R-A-D-I-S-E-C dot org dot A-U, has all the information you need. Well, thank you very much for being on Communication Mixdown today, Nick, and all the best with your projects. Very interesting and very important projects indeed. I've been talking with Nick Theberger, and he's an associate professor in the School of Languages and and Linguistics and the director of the Pacific and Regional Archive for Digital Sources in Endangered Cultures. And all the details will be available on the Communication Mixdown website along with a podcast of this show. That's all from Communication Mixdown this week. We'll be back again next Monday.